Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. So in Ruth chapter 1, your God shall be my God. So in Ruth 1 and verse 1, this is Elimelech's family goes to Moab. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mal. I know this, Malan, maybe it's, I got it wrong, Malan and Kilian, if tongue twist guys, I just struggle with this. It's not that I don't know the material, I just can't say it, so bear with me. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Now, okay, first of all, the book of Ruth is set in the time of the judges. We see that there in the text. More specifically, it was in the time when Gideon was judge of Israel. We remember Gideon not long ago. We studied him recently. Now, if you remember, he was threshing wheat to hide it from the Midianites because the Midianites were impoverishing the Israelites. So this is famine. It matches up with the text out of Judges. And so God, though, he used this famine to relocate this family. Now, that's one thing about trial. It'll move you to places you don't want to go. <laughs> and it, it does. I've been through it many times. And by that laugh, I know you have too. God uses his family, uh, this famine to relocate the family. In Exodus, we've seen it in the Bible before. God used a famine to move Joseph's brothers into Egypt looking for food. And so that cr- moved a big story there in that, in that book. So it's no big secret that God actually causes hardship. Oh, Ray, how could you say that? Now you cross the line. Well, he does. Uh, Isaiah 45 and 7, God says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. The reason the Lord had to say it like that is a lot of people don't believe that he creates calamity. God says, I'm the one causing that. People, why would God do such a thing? He's trying to move us somewhere. He's trying to to show us himself in that. And so a famine was used to relocate this family from Bethlehem to Moab. God is going to position them for his workings and for our benefit too. So Ruth 1 and 3. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malan and Kilian also died, so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Wow, that's that's a rough go right there. That's tough. 
And so, but all of these women now, all of them, they're all widows now, all of them. Now, in those days, many of you may know, widows were almost helpless in that society uh, to getting by in the culture. Typically, a widow was cared for by her children. If she had children, at least she had them. But Naomi doesn't even have her sons anymore. Plus, add a layer on top of that, that she's living in Moab as a foreigner. She's got all these things against her. And so all her worldly hope is gone. Even if she went back to Israel, Jewish tradition regarded the deaths of Naomi's husband and her two sons as being a punishment for leaving Bethlehem to go to a foreign land. They considered it a wrong thing to do because the false gods of Moab would have tempted you to worship them. It's not a wise move. And so they would take in it that you got this because of what you did. Naomi has layer upon layer of hardship on her that she's considering right now. And her older age is not a benefit either. She's getting up there in her years. Now, I want to explain even more troubling factors that Naomi is starting to have to contend with here. Naomi's Israelite sons married Moabite women. Moabite women. The law in Deuteronomy 7 forbids marrying a lot of people groups, but it does not forbid marrying Moabites. But it's probable that other Israelites would have considered it unwise for her sons to marry Moabite women, simply because it would cause them to want to worship the Moabite false gods as well. It's, it's not advised. And that's the way they would have viewed that. And so if Naomi returns back to Israelite territory in Bethlehem, not only is she going back a widow, she's also bringing the two Moabite foreign women along with her, women who had no children from their marriages, which could be interpreted by many as a curse for having left Bethlehem in the first place. It's, you can see how it's stacking up in her mind the possibilities that may happen if she goes back. But she knows she can't stay either if she's in a foreign land. And plus, with no sons of her own, there's nobody to carry her family name. I just want us to see what the situation looks like, all the factors that Naomi may be considering. Uh, in her mind, uh, Naomi's name means sweetness and pleasantness. And, you know, for this to happen to a sweet, pleasant woman, it's going to alter her. She's going through a tough load. It's going to alter her. Naomi is feeling rather hopeless. You ever been in a situation that looks absolutely hopeless? I have nowhere to go. Anything I do, I'm in trouble. This is Naomi here. Ruth 1 and 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughter-in-laws with her, and they went on the journey to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them. And they lifted up their voices and wept. See, she intends to them to go find new lives. Go get married. Go to your mom's house. Start over. Naomi is thinking that the Israelite disapproval back home would make it too hard 
for Ruth and Orpah to find new Israelite men to marry. Can you imagine? You're, you're not from here, and you're going to go there? It, it's, it's not going to work out so good for you. You just best stay here. She thinks they should pursue a new family in their own country. Now, when here's an important thing, and this was a hard one to dig up, and I'm glad I found it. When Naomi said in verse 8, she says in verse 8, return to your mother's house. When she said that, what she meant by that was if these two women were ever to marry again, Naomi knows that they would end up discussing their wedding plans with their own mothers, not with her. Go back to your mother's house. Because if you're going to get married, you're going to just discuss it with her. You're going to end up becoming somebody else's daughter-in-law. You won't be my daughter-in-law anymore. When she said, return to your mother's house, it had a ring of abandonment to it. I'm alone. You're going to get married. When it comes down, you're not going to talk to me. You're going to talk to your own mom. Just go to your mother's house and be blessed. Naomi's hurt. She's, there's nobody anymore. I have nothing. These girls shouldn't follow me. Return to your mother's house. She has lost so much. And she knows these girls are going to end up in somebody else's family eventually. So rather than just being hurt more, she's trying to just let them go. You ever been like that? I've been hurt so much, I might as well just cut everything. Because I don't want to be hurt again. I think I see this in Naomi. And I really want us to sympathize with her and get into what she may be feeling. Ruth 1 and 10. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope. If I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Wow. Naomi's emotions just finally burst open. You ever have the pressure just get so bad on you, you just blow? I think that's what Naomi just did. She's released it all. She's so hurt. She has that get away from me mentality. Just, just, just get away from me. I'm just trouble. If you hang around me, it's not going to be good for you. So just, just go and be blessed. God's against me. Leave. And if you look closely, you'll see that Naomi indirectly referred to what's called a Leverite marriage. And that's found, that comes from Deuteronomy 25.5. Let me explain what that is. It states that if a man dies without a son, his widow cannot marry outside the family. She can't marry outside the family, but she has to marry her husband's brother for the purpose of conceiving children to preserve the deceased brother's name. That's to keep that, the dead brother's name to continue. This is why Naomi said, are there still sons in my womb? Because she thinks maybe Ruth and Orpah are thinking about this, this culture, this, this marriage thing from Deuteronomy. That they're, Well, she's got other sons. We'll just marry them. And so Naomi is saying, are there, are there still sons in my womb? So I think it's possible that Naomi thinks that the reason that Ruth and Orpah wanted to go back to Bethlehem with her 
is so they could remarry in the family, stay married in the family with other sons that they think Naomi might have had at home, but she doesn't have any. And so that's why Naomi erupts with emotion. She has no other sons to help them fulfill this in the law. In her grief, I think maybe Naomi feels that Ruth and Orpah don't really want her. They just want to fulfill the law to get new husbands for themselves. Maybe Naomi's mistakenly thinking that. They don't want me. They don't want me. They just want to keep in that Deuteronomy law that says you can't marry outside the family. So they think I got other guys that they can go marry. She goes, I don't have any more sons. She's trying to look, go back. Just go to your mother's house. She's thinking they don't want me. They just want to follow that custom. This is all here, guys. I mean, she's she's hurt. Now, this is a really important story, at least in chapter one, for those of you who feel hopeless, abandoned by yourself. You're nothing but trouble. And everybody that hangs around you is just going to get in trouble with you. Just leave me alone. I have been there more times than I can count. This drives people to such extreme grief. This is only compounding Naomi's pain, thinking, I'm alone. I'm hopeless. I have nothing. I am nothing. And if you hang around me, you're going to get nothing. Go back home to your mother's house. Poor Naomi, the dam, it's like the dam just broke open. But here's something else. I think Naomi was a little bit insensitive to the grief of her daughters-in-law because after all, they lost their husbands too. They are also widows, aren't they? They're widows too. You know how it is when somebody's in such pain, they feel like their situation is worse than everybody else's is. And Naomi felt her trouble was heavier Because at least Orpah and Ruth were able to bear children. And she felt, well, mine's worse. And she's a little bit insensitive to them. Naomi's pain and emotions have suddenly been released. But now all her pain, all her defeat, all her hopelessness is flowing out unrestrained. She's just saying it all. You ever been there? You just, you let it it all go because you can't keep it anymore. There seems to be no way out, no security, no peace. But Her grief was not allowing her to see that God was actively working in her life. Grief will do this to you. It will blind you. God's still working in your life. It will cause you not to see what he's doing. Ruth 1 and 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. This means that Orpah kissed Naomi farewell. And went back to Moab. But Ruth clung to her. Means she's not leaving. Now let's do not criticize Orpah for leaving. A lot of people try to do that. Orpah should have stayed. Well don't criticize her for that. She was obeying Naomi's wishes. This is what she told me she wanted. So she she went back. Now we know nothing more about Orpah again. Because the text never says anything about her again. But Ruth did the unexpected. I, I wouldn't have seen this coming either. She hung to she clung on to Naomi. <laughs> she found it better to serve her widowed mother-in-law than to look for another husband. Now, wait a minute. Th- th- this is what godly, selfless love looks like. Ruth clinging to her. She's not thinking for herself. Well, I guess I'll go get another husband. She's more concerned about Naomi. How many years did she spend with her now? Ten. 
She came to love her. She came to love Naomi. Selfless love. But to Ruth here, this decision means the possibility that she may never have another husband again, or children either for that matter, ever again. And you know, here's one thing I want to bring up. The Lord considers it pure and undefiled religion to help widows in their time of trouble. And so I believe that Ruth made her decision to cling to Naomi because her heart was in agreement with the desires of God to see to a widow, even though she was a widow herself. It was driven into her to do this by the Lord himself. As lost and as abandoned as Naomi felt, as blind as Naomi was in her grief, the Lord had still given her hope in Ruth. Ruth 1 and 15. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God's return after your sister-in-law. Now, Naomi tried to use Orpah as an example. Look, she went back, go with her. (laughs) I'm sure that Naomi was aware that Orpah going back to the Moabites was going to put her under the temptation to worship Moabite gods. And that was wrong. But Naomi is so stricken with grief that she's not thinking straight. You ever get so mad you just can't think straight? You say things that don't make sense. You say things that aren't right. Naomi's doing this because she's under such distress. Can you imagine that the Lord would actually care to still try to save people that don't think straight? Gosh, that kind of reminds me of me. (laughs) I'm telling you, there's a time I wasn't thinking straight at all, but he still came to save me. Now watch this next part right here. This next part of text, these are some of the most beautiful words ever written down anywhere, ever recorded. Ruth 1 and 16. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Wow, that's commitment, guys. She's putting aside what she could have to be with Naomi. God is really working through Ruth here. Naomi tried three times to get Ruth to leave. Three times. The first time was in verse 11, I have no sons. The second time was in verse 12, well, if I suddenly have sons, you can't wait long enough for them to grow up to be your husband. And then verse 15, she goes, your sister already went back. Three times Ruth, Naomi tried to get Ruth to go back. And so Ruth basically says, stop trying to get me to leave you. (laughs) Stop. This is one of the best examples of, of commitment that has ever been demonstrated. But I want you to notice that Ruth's desire was involved with making the God of Israel her own God also. It wasn't just, I'm going with you, Naomi. She also said, your people will be mine and your God will be mine. She's actually pursuing the God of Israel. She's willing to, go, to come to God. She's willing to leave her old life behind. She's going to leave Moab, Moab behind. She's to come to the Lord God of Israel. She's willing to leave her national identity. She's even willing to leave the religious idolatry of the Moabite people. She's going to leave absolutely everything behind to get to know this God of Israel. Boy, is that not a parallel for us to look at? Your God will be my God, she said. The Lord, she said, 
The Lord do so to me, and more, if anything but death parts us. Suddenly, Ruth is entrusting the entire remainder of her existence to the God of Israel. That's great. I want you to take the most critical observance to the fact that in order for her to give herself to the God of Israel, she is willing to leave everything behind. To get to know the God of Israel, she's willing to leave everything she has and has ever been or ever could have been, even sacrificing her future. She's leaving it behind for the God of Israel. Now, we saw Naomi unload her thoughts, but Ruth's statements here must have been just as powerful back at Naomi. Because it says in Ruth 1.18, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking with her. <laughs> well, okay then. <laughs> I guess they were both pretty forceful in what they said. Ruth really made her point, and she nailed it down when she used God's name to state her commitment. She sealed her commitment by saying, may the Lord. Now in verse 17, where it says, the Lord do so to me, she said. Okay, in Hebrew, where it says, the Lord. That's in English, the Lord. But in the Hebrew, that is actually a name right there. The Lord. That is a name. The Lord is the name Yehovah. We sang, there's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. The Hebrew name for the Lord is Yehovah. In Isaiah 42 and 8, God says this. He says, I am the Lord. That is my name. What he said was, I am Yehovah. That is my name. And so both Ruth 1.18 and Isaiah 42.8, the English for the Lord that we see where it says the Lord is actually Yehovah. That's his name. Yehovah means the existing one. It's the proper name of the one true God. He's almighty. And so in our limited English and, and in our distance from that ancient Hebrew culture, we, we really easily miss just exactly what it was that Ruth really said here. What did Ruth actually say here? Ruth expressed that she had come to accept the supreme, sovereign God of Israel, the one who made all things and who is over all things. Therefore, he has the power to change all things. You see what she just said to Naomi? I have no sons. Go back to your mother. I can't, I can't this. It's so terrible. Well, I'm going to come follow Jehovah. And Naomi had nothing more she could say. <laughs> I think the Lord is really speaking through Ruth. The Lord can do something here. It's almost as though Ruth had tried to help Naomi turn back into a hopeful direction again. I'm following you back to the land of your God, Jehovah, because Jehovah, the existing one, the God over all things, it's better to follow him who has the power to change this situation than to go back to the dead gods of Moab that never gave me any children throughout 10 whole years of marriage. Whoa! Look at the scale's tip. Can you see now what all Ruth said when she said that, Yehovah, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. I'll live where you live and I'll die where you die. Thank 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.